good morning. So in the handout that uh, I deliberately did this in the handout, on the title it says, what are you doing here? And I left a blank. What are you doing here? I want you to put your name in that blank. Put your name in that blank. We are going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 today. And um, so we will be uh, using, if you will, the blue Bible that's in front of you. And uh, we will be on page 354 in this blue Bible. And if you do not own a Bible and you want a Bible, that Bible is yours. It is free. Take it home with you. Please read your Bible. One thing about reading this Bible, it will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from reading this Bible. So I need to tell you, if we're going to be in chapter 19 today, I need to tell you about chapter 18. What happened in chapter 18? In chapter 18, for three and a half years, it had not rained on the land because Elijah the prophet said that it will not rain on this land until I say so, basically talking to the Lord. And there was a showdown. There was a showdown between the God of Baal and there was a showdown between the one and true God, and we know who won. The one true God. So the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, lost their life that day. The king is happy. The king's happy because it's now raining on the land. Now, because of back then, everything was based off of agriculture, so... so there's now rain on the land, so there's going to be crops within the land, so the people are going to be happy. So the king and his people are going to be happy. And Elijah, it says the very last word, uh, last uh, sentence in chapter 18, it says, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He outran the chariot, the king's chariot, on his way back uh, to the city. So at the end of chapter 18, in today's words, we would say that everybody is living happily ever after. That's the end of chapter 18. But then there's verse 19. I mean, sorry, chapter 19. And we meet Jezebel. Everyone has or will have a Jezebel experience in their life. Oh, by the way, I would safely say that before the today's end, we will all have a Jezebel experience in our day today. I want to read uh, verses 1 and 2 out of chapter 19. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So, Elijah expected this and instead heard this. Now, there have been many times in my life where perhaps my wife may say something to me that I did not expect, or I might say something to her that she might expect. 
or a boss might say something to you that you did not expect, a friend, a neighbor, or just this past week, I took my daughter to a, to a doctor's appointment, and because of the COVID restrictions, every third seat is open, which means that it's standing room only, basically. So my daughter's sitting down, I'm standing up, and this young lady comes over to me, and she goes, Mr., she says, would you like my seat? She said, I'm still young. <laughs> welcome, man, welcome, buddy. So, I could have taken it, if you will, that way, but I chose to take it that I think it's really cool how this young lady would be willing to give up her seat for the old man that's standing. So we all have those things in our life that I call, I call them trigger words. Trigger words that can cause a downward spiral. Trigger words that can cause a downward spiral in, in our life, you know, and, and, and I see it as there's, there's four steps. There's four things that, 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 that we can go down this ladder. The first thing that I see is discouragement. First of all, you, know, you might have gone into your, your, your boss's office thinking that you were getting a promotion to find out that you no longer have a job. Or you may have gone to the doctor's appointment thinking that you have a cold to get that call later that it's a little different than a cold. Or you might get to the end of your month and realize that you have more month than you do money. Discouragement. It's basically fog on an overcast day. And then the next step down from that is depression. This is ongoing emotional gloom. Ongoing emotional gloom, ongoing emotional pain. It just won't go away. It just won't go away. And then the next step down from that is despair. Despair. There's no way to beat this thing. There's no way to beat this thing. There's no way out. It's too tall of a mountain for you and I to climb. Despair. And then the last step on this ladder is death. It's our only way out. There's nothing left to live for. I want you to know that even super-Christians, even super-Christians have had their moments. As you're going to see in chapter 19, even super-Christians have had their moments. Moses got depressed and he wanted to die. Job, he asked God, he said, why, why do the righteous suffer? And David, in Psalm 42 and 43, is incredibly down and out. And I told you that even super-Christians, Paul, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, he says that he was at the point of death. Our reaction, Elijah's reaction. In verses 3 and 4, it says that when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I want you to look at the end of verse 3, and it says that he left his servant there. At the beginning of verse 4, it says, but he himself, or he by himself, and he went into the wilderness. Never, ever, ever go it alone in this Christian life. Never go it alone. If you go it alone, you are setting yourself up for sure disaster. In Luke 10.1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and every place that he was about to go. It's not in your notes and it's not on the slides, but I added this in. It's on page 658 of your blue Bible if you want to look it up. It's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, and it's called The Value of a Friend. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. But a threefold cord is quickly, is, sorry, is not quickly broken. Now, of course, in Proverbs 27, 17, I've used this scripture for years. Iron sharpens iron. We need our one another's. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, look at this verse. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is in the matter of some, but exhorting one another. Two times in that passage, it says one another. We need our one another's. I understand you may be, you know, like I, 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 I know who's watching today, and I know that you're alone. But reach out on that phone. Reach out and have, talk to someone. Talk to someone. They're there. Ask God to show you who you need to reach out to. God will supply. God's mercy and compassion. Look, look, at, look at, at God's reaction to this. Then as he lay and he slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake uh, baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, he ate and drank, and he went in that strength 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. First thing that I see there is depression and despair are real. And God will meet you in your moment, where you are. We all need a time out. He says, rest. We all need a time out. Rest and refresh in Him. 
Notice that God meets you where you are. I also see that perhaps Elijah was like myself, where he may have gotten hangry. So God made him an angel food cake. It's quite possible that angel food cake would be the remedy to all the hangriness out there. At the end of this passage, I want you to look at that. It says that he went in the strength of that 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. You need to get that at the end. It says he went as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, you may not understand what that means, but Horeb is also Mount Sinai. What happened there? What happened there? Well, we know that the burning bush was found there. We also know that that is where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. We also know that that's where God said, take off your shoes for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. So it is entirely possible for you to be in your lowest valley and have a mountaintop experience and not know it yet. I, I could tell you many a story where I thought that I was on my lowest part. I couldn't go any lower. And then as time progressed, I got to look back and see God's mercy and his compassion and how he allowed me to go through these things. And how much more strength I, I, I now gained by going through it with him. Raw and real prayer. Raw and real prayer, they, it, it absolutely changes things. Look at, what, look at what he says here. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. The beauty I see in this is he got raw and real with God. The worst thing that we can possibly do in our prayer life is to say, I'm good, God. We need to be raw and real. We are children of God. And one of the things that I love about teaching the children, the children have no filter. And I love that in children because they just say it as it is. They see it, they say it as they see it. I think that's the best thing that we can do in our prayer life is just say it the way you see it. It's okay. It's okay to be to understand down the road that perhaps I didn't see it fully clear. So, what I see in this prayer is that at this moment, and I've been here too, he has a victim's mentality. A victim's mentality. A victim's mentality says this, everyone else is responsible for where I am. I am the only one who has ever gone through this kind of a problem. I, I am the only one. See, and then what that does is this allows me 
to put off making the changes that I need to make in my life. Any sports team, any sports team out there that develops a victim's mentality will lose every game. Think about it. If you were playing on a game, uh, on, a, on a football team, and you all huddled up, all 11 of you huddled up, and, and, and when it came time to snap the ball, huh, what in the world? What? They're trying to get us, what, what they're trying to tackle us. Every, every, every time we try to kick the ball, they're, 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 they won't even let us kick the ball. That's a victim's mentality. We need to understand that, okay, in this life, John 16.33 says, in this life, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God reveals himself. God reveals himself. And he said, God says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke them, the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the, after the fire, a still, small voice. It's amazing. When I whisper, or when my voice gets lower, people lean in. And they want to hear what I'm saying. See, God doesn't need to yell. He doesn't need to proclaim. What I see is it's his controlled power. It's his controlled power, and he's asking us to lean in to him. When was the last time you leaned into him? The importance of knowing him, your daily quiet time. Are you spending time with him? Know what his word says on your situation. Ask him. Ask him. Lord, show me. Show me. One of the best, and, and I've said this before, the best prayer that I know of is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. You'll find that on page 618 in your blue Bible. Psalm 139, 23, 24. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if you didn't get that, it's search me, try me, see me, and lead me. And then follow through. Follow through. Verse 13, it's not, on your, it's not up on the PowerPoint, but I'll read it to you. It says, So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of a cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is the turning point. This is the turning point. There are times, I, I've heard it from quite a few here, I've heard it on the outside, where you've been in church for 
15, 20 years. And you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, but then all of a sudden, if you will, times 60, times 70, all of a sudden, you heard the gospel. Wow. Where did that come from? That's what I believe is happening here in, this, in his response. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. You'll notice that verse 10 and verse 14 repeat themselves. But now he's had a revelation. Now he has to do a spiritual, what I call a spiritual reset. Now, what we're going to do now is I want to show you, um, Sam actually talked about it, and he and I did not correlate with each other throughout the week, but I use God's word to reset this uh, my, my, myself when I've, I've gone down that ladder. So I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some scriptures that I use on myself to do a reset on my walk. The first one is Psalm 46, 1 through 3. And I want to tell you before we get into my, my scriptures here, okay, there is, there is many, many, many uplifting scriptures. So Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then one of my all-time favorites is Colossians 3.2. Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things in this earth. Big picture. See the big picture. As many of you know, I'm a, I'm a music person. I love music. I, music is, it's all that. It is. There's a song out there by Crowder, and it's called Red Letters. Red Letters by Crowder. If you get a chance, read the scripture, and then look at the lyrics to that song. It'll set your mind on things above. Next passage of scripture that I use, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. See, it isn't about my word. It isn't about their word. It's about God's word. That's where, that's where it's at. That's where the rubber meets the road. What does God say about your situation? The next passage of scripture is one of my wife's favorite scripture. Uh, in my mind, she, she should uh, do a bumper sticker that says, uh, 4-8 that. 4-8 that. It's Philippians 4-8. Philippians 4-8. It's finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any 
excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In your absolute worst case situation, there is something left to praise for. Matter of fact, um, um, if you, let's do that for a second. I want you to hold your hand up to your mouth, just like this. Just do it. Okay? Blow on it. Good. You just did something biblical. Psalm 156, Psalm, Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if there is breath left in you, if you have any breath left in you, praise the Lord. Amen. That's where we've got to be. Okay, next passage of Scripture. Romans 8, 35-39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I just want to do a time out there. This means that we die to ourself. It isn't about us anymore. It's about him. What does he want? Continuing on. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't realize, I'm sure I don't realize the depth of love he has for me. I get to see glimpses of his love for me, but I am sure that I don't fully realize what he has done for me. And I think if we all sit back and we realize just what he is doing for us, I get to see glimpses of him. But Boy, it's going to be cool when we get to meet him. Oh, my goodness. A good song that goes with this passage of Scripture is Flawless by Mercy Me. Again, if you get a chance, Flawless by Mercy Me, look at the lyrics. Look at the lyrics and put Romans 8.35 in your mind. And, of course, this is the passage of Scripture that we read uh, a little earlier. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The beauty of this, the beauty of this passage, you see, we are talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that knows our very, very end. He knows the end of our day. He knows the end of this sermon before I even get there. So why don't I just give my all to him? Why don't we do that? Give our all to him. Just, just Lord, you're the expert here. You, t you show me. And of course, we're near the end. The rest of the story. God speaks. He sets things right. Then the Lord said to him, Go, 
Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. And you shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphet, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So if you remember the prayer, I alone am left. But when, when we're a child of God, God is not going to allow us to sit in our misery. He's going to send someone to continue to, to prompt you, to wake you up, to prompt you, to wake you up. He says, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. I don't know if you get that or not, but this, that's a whole nother country. He thought he was alone, and he's talking about going to a whole nother country and converting a whole nother country. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And then it also says to him, I have your replacement. I have Elisha. Elisha is your replacement. And then, at the end, it says there's 7,000 in reserve here. 7,000 in reserve. You thought you, thought you were the only one. But there's 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. When we go to him, we don't, a lot of times, I, I, I am very guilty of this, I don't see the big picture. But God knows the big picture. And he will do everything he can to gently move us in the direction that we are going to go. Because again, God knows where, where he's going to have us. And he's just going to orchestrate it in such a way that we get to, if you will, our final destination. That's why I titled it, What Are You Doing Here? What are you doing here? If you don't know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, there's still time. There's still time. As our worship team comes forward, um, if you want to talk to me or someone else at the end of the service about that, I would be glad to, to make that happen. Uh, let, let's go to the Lord in prayer as, as they're coming forward. Almost oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth found in your word. I thank you for the great power that is found in your word, Lord. May we just not read scripture. May we own it. Make it our own. Lord, we love you and we just want to simply serve you and serve you well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.